Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now, get ready to think. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And that means being ready to handle the toughest questions that come our way in a way that is faithful to scripture, that is true to the world, and that is intellectually and emotionally satisfying. But we are currently right now in one of those situations where emotional satisfaction almost seems impossible. I'm talking about the current quarantine and pandemic associated with the COVID-19 coronavirus. There are questions that we need to deal with as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ and you're listening to this podcast, odds are you've been wrestling with some of the same questions. So what you're going to hear is Pastor Dan Osborne and myself responding to questions. So it's going to feel very informal. It's going to feel very conversational. We have a few laughs. We want to help believers and non-believers understand the coronavirus crisis from a biblical perspective. So if you enjoy this content, get engaged with the Think Institute. You can do that by going to thethink.institute. While you're there, you'll find resources, podcast episodes, blog posts, all kinds of things to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. And one more thing, I have to remind you about our book giveaway, which is going down at the end of this month. And I can now tell you the book that we are going to be giving away. Myth and Meaning in Jordan Peterson, A Christian Perspective. The editor is Ron Dart, but there are a number of contributors to it. Leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure it's an honest rating, honest review. And then at the end of March, I am going to draw one lucky name out of the proverbial hat and I will get your information and send you the book. I hope that's exciting. I know it is to me. I love a good book. If you're building your collection, then uh, I want to help you do that. We're all about helping believers take their study further and we're all about helping you think. So I hope this does make you think. And uh, without any further ado, listen to this great conversation between myself and Pastor Dan Osborne. All right. Well, I am live with my good friend and pastor, Dan Osborne. And we are together right now to have a conversation about a Christian response to the coronavirus pandemic. So um, as you can tell, you know, we're, we're obviously not in the same room right now. That's just sort of a reality of the current situation. We've all been uh, encouraged to socially distance ourselves, which is a phrase that is has entered the popular vocabulary, social distancing and whatnot. Uh, so I guess before we get started, Dan, how are you feeling? Any um, any symptoms over there? No, we uh, don't have any symptoms over in the Osborne household. That's good. Um, at least I, don't, I don't think so. We spent the morning in the hospital, though, yesterday. What? With, uh, yeah, with our foster son. Uh, just kind of navigating some of the stuff with with that. So we we were in a you know big public place uh, for the last uh, in the last twenty four hours, but 
other than that, I think we're all good. But I guess it's a matter of time for some of us, right? Like we may have it already. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Um, uh, you know, everything I'm reading is basically saying like, just expect you're probably going to get it. It's not a matter of never getting it. It's more a matter of um, just keeping the uh, the hospitals from getting clogged with patients. And yeah, yeah. So not too not too optimistic there, but. Uh, <laughs> We, we, as we're going to talk about, we do have reasons to be optimistic uh, that have nothing to do with our prognosis or anything else. Yeah. So, um, so let's let's go ahead and get into it. And just a, um, uh, uh, I guess, an introduction to our folks who are watching. We've got several people watching right now. Um, Dan and I can see your comments, and what I can actually do is I should say, I can see your comments. And so if you have a comment or a question, if you if you write that and, and you post that, you comment that on the stream, I can get that and I can actually post that up on the on the video and, uh, and then Dan and I can address it. So um, I, I put together some thoughts. Uh, Dan, do you wanna just sort of um, give us a, uh, sort of an introduction as to how we could, you know, sort of enter into this conversation as, as Christians, you know, does the Bible have anything to say about this? Where, where do we look for answers? Mm -hmm. How do we enter into this conversation? Yeah, no, that's a, uh, thank you for just throwing me into the deep end right there. Hey, Amen. Uh, you know, I, I think one, it's really important for us to have, a thorough re biblical response to what we're seeing play out around us. I know that, that you know, for the for majority of us right now, we're kind of sitting in front of, uh, you know, either our tablets, TVs, or computers, trying to get some work done. Um, but there's just like a plethora of voices uh, helping to frame and shape how we think about a virus like this. And it, you know, is on the spectrum of you know, solid evidence on, on one side and on the other side, you've got, you know, uh, fear mongering and uh, tactics like that. So uh, what are we supposed to make of everything that we're seeing? I think is a really relevant question. Uh, fortunately, Christians have not been uh, it's not the first time we're confronted with a question like this. I mean, all throughout history, uh, Christianity has been faced with, you know, in, in some sense, pandemics or plagues. Uh, and it's really been the Christian response historically uh, that has been a powerful reminder of the hope we ultimately believe we have in Christ um, that is kind of transcends any other uh, point of hope we might look to. So I, I would say a couple things. Uh, one, we've got to be quick to go to the scriptures. Uh, that is going to be the place of most comfort. So it's not in our ability just to reason ourselves out of a, uh, you know, out, out of uh, worry. We, we we go to the scriptures to to see where our hope is and, and who God is in this you know in in this season. There's two questions that I think a lot of people are asking. Uh, one, where is God in this? Uh, and two, uh, what then should our response be? I think Joel, you know this really well. Uh, a lot of listeners will will know this well. Uh, we believe biblically, we, we serve a God who is sovereign over uh, over nature itself. And so I think Matthew 8 is a great picture of this. You know, Jesus 
uh, asleep on the on the ship while the storm comes in. Uh, and he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the wave and they listen to him. Right. Like that. that's not just that's not Sunday school uh, kids ministry stories like th- this is this is incredible. If this is true, Jesus is able to have uh, say and sway over nature itself. Uh, and, and one of the implications of that is uh, he is able to um, be over something like the coronavirus, like that. This not outside of his control. Now, one of the questions that leaves us with is uh, if he is able to do something about it and he's not stopping it, like why? Right. Like, why is God allowing this to spread? And by the way, I think there's plenty of other places we could go to see God's sovereign hand over uh, over nature. Uh, Matthew 8 is just, you know, one one quick, easy example. Uh, the question is, why is why is it seem like God is not doing uh, something about it? Uh, so that would be the first question. The second one is uh, how how should we respond uh, as Christians? I think, you know, there's inevitably going to be fear, uh, anxiety, and worry uh, that are all kind of creeping up uh, for everybody in different for different reasons, right? Like some of us are going to be worried about uh, actually contracting the virus. I think, you know, most people are saying it's not dangerous for the majority of the population, but we do have folks who are uh, elderly, immunocompromised, uh, and it is, it, it is a dangerous thing, right? It's not something we should take lightly. As so we have folks who are worried about that, we also have folks who are worried about spreading it to someone else who who is in a more more vulnerable position. People worried about the economy, their jobs, what will happen, you know, if things continue on the projection that they are right now. Uh, so there there are legitimate reasons to to be anxious uh, right now, and uh, I, I think I think even beneath that too, in our response as Christians, what we need to look at is. Um, Kind of like what will actually happen in the home? I've said this several times at, at, at Forest Glen. I think God uses significant moments in our lives to reveal things about ourselves, uh, and I think that'll be true for the cor- coronavirus and the court. You know, the um, social distancing that follows is that God is going to be able to is going to start teaching us uh, things about ourselves that maybe we didn't realize before, right? Like certain sin patterns. I think are going to. Uh, probably pop back up things that you know many of us thought we dealt with uh, years years ago, right? They may start to kind of rear their head again uh, and force a greater dependence on uh, on the gospel. So, you know, I'm not trying to answer those questions right now. Those are just like talking points that have been running through my mind as I've been thinking about this over the last uh, you know five days or so. How do you? Know, see- well, uh, I wanted to I wanted to see if you could flesh that out real quick because we got we've got all these questions to get to. But when you say that um, sin patterns could be revealed as a result of social distancing, is there anything in particular that you have in mind with that? Or you said you've been doing some thinking on that. What what have you thought about that? Yeah, you, you know, I know um, you know for a lot of folks, if there's uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick on a big one though. There's certainly more we we can talk about. Something like. Uh, pornography. I know for a lot of people, isolation, being alone is often a trigger to lust. And so there's just a greater opportunities for stuff like that to pop back up again. You know, another one would be uh, something like anger. I mean, I'm, you know, in this kind of context, what I think a lot of us are going to see is like, we actually have a deeper issue with anger than we realized, right? And that's going to happen in day five 
when your son spills his cup of water uh, after you told him five times not to walk around with it, right? And your response is gonna like, it's gonna show you that there's there's a deeper heart issue going on. Or, you know, as a, as a spouse, uh, I think <laughs> we, we will uh, easily be able to um, push off like little projects to that, you know, uh, in, to the nebulous, like I'll get to it later realm. Uh, and eventually that's going to drive <laughs> our, our spouses crazy if we keep doing that, right? There's going to be this kind of selfishness, frustration that bubbles up uh, because of the season we're in. That's all I meant. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I really appreciate what you said about as Christians, we need to go to the Bible first. Yeah. You know, how often do we do something totally different than that? You know, like for me, uh, this morning, um, even though I tried to make it a habit to read the Bible first thing in the morning, this morning, man, I'm checking the news. I'm checking the yeah. updates. You know, what's the latest? Um, yeah. You know, how how has anything changed? There, is there any new reason to fear? Is there any new reason to hope? And I'm I'm looking right away to the, um, you know, uh, the the news websites as opposed to getting the timeless truth from here. And actually, yeah. I, um, it was it, it's funny, man, because. A year ago, Lucas was our our third born. had had been by this point a year ago. He had been in the hospital for like, oh geez, uh, about a month because mm-hmm. he went into the hospital February fourteenth, twenty nineteen, with heart failure. And a year ago, we were experiencing a family trial that meant that only we were experiencing. And it meant that our family had to be apart most of the time because Elisa would be with Lucas in the hospital. I would be with the kids at home and then we'd have family members helping out. Now, it's a year later, we're experiencing a very different kind of trial, but the family is all together. And, yeah. you know, we we learned how to navigate the family being apart. We we fig, kind of figured that out by God's grace. Now we're learning a, a completely new kind of trial. And actually, I can hear my kids yelling at each other. And, uh, and I don't know if that's getting picked up on the mic. But, uh, you know, we're learning a, a, a totally new, and it's been, what, a couple of days, a day? Yeah, yeah. Feel, it feels like it's been a month already. But um, but you're right. Those, those sin struggles are going to come out. And when Lucas first went in last year, Elisa started looking all throughout the Gospels and at, at websites that would compile the different stories of Jesus healing, examples of Jesus healing. And mm-hmm. we would read those stories to Lucas during those first few days and weeks, just mm-hmm. as a reminder to, to him, but also as a reminder to ourselves that our Lord actually can heal. He actually yeah. is sovereign over diseases. And I'm just, I'm looking at, you mentioned Matthew chapter eight, and yeah. it, that's in the same passage, it talks about there's a man who was cleansed from leprosy, a centurion whose whose servant was healed. Yep. Peter healed, uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Um, and then it talks about how, how the winds and the wave, winds and the waves obeyed him. So you can't throw a stone at the gospels without hitting a passage about Jesus healing somebody. So, you know, it's like as believers, when we start with God's word, we're going to begin with the rock solid truth that our God can heal. And that's going to put everything else in context for us. 
Right. And, you know, I think there's there's uh, a <laughs> the importance for Christians, especially now. Uh, and I guess maybe I'm thinking of in my own uh, someone in a family situation, you know, like mine or whoever is, you know, having to hunker down at home right now. I think the importance for us to, to get up and be in the scriptures to like fight for a quiet time. That's now that is something we have to do now. Right, like it, it because we we are just constantly going to be tested with uh, different different trigger points all day, right? And I think uh, something that's really been shaping my thinking around you know my response and you know even in thinking through closing down canceling the Sunday services uh, at at Park, you know, which is not something we I ever thought I would have to do or not something, you know, we took lightly as elders, even for a moment, uh, but it's actually Philippians two played a big role in that. And, you know, Paul is instructing believers to take on the mind of Christ, to have the mind of Christ. Right. And he encouraged you in humility to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right. And that was one of the reasons why that, you know, played into like, OK, we, we, we need to cancel our services because we don't want to contribute to the uh, sickness, illness going forth to our neighbors who, even if we may not be affected, they may be right. That There's a higher likelihood that they could be in some of the circles that, that we're in. Uh, and so this idea of regularly like dying to ourselves uh, we will be is phenomenally important in this season. Uh, that we're in. And it's going to show up in those little ways again, like I already talked about and how we relate to our kids, how you you relate to your spouse. Um, that is just one 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 uh, realm where this is going to show up, but it's going to be absolutely necessary as we died our own preferences, looking out to the to the interests of, of those around us in close quarters. Yeah, that's that's a good word, man. So when we're we're thinking about some of these big questions, I'd love for us to just dive in and and start yeah. to talk about you know a biblical response, a, a historical yeah. response, and just as a reminder for everyone watching, uh, we've got about two dozen people watching right now, live, and the benefit of watching live is that you can actually leave a comment, and Dan and I can respond to you right now on the air. Yep. So go ahead and um, address all your difficult questions to Dan. Softballs, send them my way. Uh, he's ordained. I am, uh, I'm not. So, um, I'm actually not even qualified to answer any hard questions, uh, yeah. at all. Um, <laughs> <Keep shopping. laughs> <laughs> that's good. It's good. Uh, so, um, let's just start, you know, I, I was, um, scrolling through the drudge report the other day, which will offend many people that I would even look at such a website. Uh, but I was scrolling through the judge report and uh, I saw there was an article from India and the headline was, is God unhappy with mankind? And I read this article and you can, you can search for it. You know, it's from the India times or no, no, the India post India times or India post. And essentially what, what it said was, you know, adherence of the three great Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all believe that God will be unhappy when there is injustice and when people turn a, a blind eye to the poor and things like that. So the answer is to do good, to help your neighbor. And it was sort of a spiritual encouragement to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Dan, how would yeah. we respond to that question in light 
of COVID-19, is this a sign that God is unhappy with mankind? How do we, how do we think about that? Uh, you know, it, the reason it's complicated, a complicated answer is because it's a longer answer. Uh, and I, you know, would encourage folks to sit through it and like listen to the whole thing rather than just one one snippet or soundbite. Uh, I think when you're, uh, you know, if you put this in the category of a natural disaster, uh, I think one one of the options uh, is that does does God's judgment play into that? Um, is this an example of His wrath? Maybe. Uh, I mean, th- there's not. I don't think we we can look for very specific signs or anything like that. I'm not sure we can look to uh, who is you know most affected by this right now and say that that is an example of God's judgment on a particular people, worldview, or anything, something like that. But uh, in the scriptures, I think you you do see calamity, plague, famine as uh, a sign of God's judgment. You see that most uh, clearly, I think, in uh, the Book of Exodus. I mean, it's an undeniable example of how God. Uh, does exercise wrath and judgment. And uh, the, the reality is we, we do serve a God who is angry over sin. He's angry over injustice. Um, if you want to stretch it back even farther, uh, biblically, I think, you know, I often think about uh, suffering in, uh, in in this way. There's biblically three reasons, I think, why we suffer. One, we suffer because of our sin, things that we do. Uh, we suffer because of other people's sin, things that are done to us. But we also uh, we we suffer because we live in a broken world, right? Like Adam, the the, the fall in Genesis three did something, brought all of nature under uh, the curse, right? Paul will talk about it in Romans that nature is groaning under the weight of of the curse. Um, and so there, there is a sense in which like the, these things are a result of the, the fallenness of humanity. Uh, and that, that's a really broad level. Uh, I, I don't know how much more specific I would get than that, Joel. I don't know if you would add anything else. Uh, I don't know if you would, you know, say, you know, we can look at, you know, certain signs and decipher what God is upset about if this is uh, his judgment. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I do think it's a good question. And I think it's a natural question that we ask, you know, when we're faced with things like this. I remember asking similar questions when 9-11 happened. Um, and for uh, for our Gen Z watchers, uh, 9-11 was a, a terrible terrorist attack on the United States in 2001. Uh, but I remember asking very similar things when uh, when that happened. And you know, Dan, I, I don't, I don't have a, a proverbial crystal ball to figure these things out. And if I did, you know, I probably shouldn't use a crystal ball to figure out God's will. That's kind of, that's kind of mixing. Uh, that might different... be against it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> that that would actually make God mad. Um, yeah. But uh, so I I go to like, um, you know, Psalm seven eleven, which says God is a righteous judge and a God who shows His wrath every day. So. Because God is righteous and perfect, mm-hmm. for him to look down on a world filled as it is with all kinds of injustice, all kinds of sin, private sins, public sins, corporate sins, government sins, sins that we don't even realize, sins that we do realize, we're violating God's perfect moral standard every single day. And, mm-hmm. you know, I did a debate last week uh, with an atheist, 
And we have half, half two thirds of the conversation was just trying to define what the word good even means. You know, as a, as a human being, uh, as human beings, we will twist and turn and do everything we can to even define goodness so that we make, we make the mark. But God is operating at a whole different level. God looks down and sees, he doesn't see, well, this person is, you know, one degree better than that person. I mean, even if God were to make such distinctions, we're all at the bottom of the barrel compared to him. And so it's, it's natural that he would be mad at humanity. So I would say, is God unhappy with mankind? Yeah, absolutely. He is. And just like you said, the result of that is things like outbreaks, pandemics. Uh, it's it's earthquakes. It's uh, it's the it is the result of um, uh, natural disasters and a fallen yeah. world, as well as our own sin. Our sin has consequences. The consequences of others, um, we experience those yeah. in our life. So yes, God is angry at us. Do I do I therefore think that? Coronavirus is a special outpouring of that wrath. I have no clue. I have no, I'd have, I mean, because I can look at any number of things that God would potentially be angry at. Everything from, you know, we've been aborting babies by the thousands and by the millions over the last 40, 45 years, uh, just in America. I mean, that would get God angry. But then again, I can look at my own heart. And I, can, I can see plenty of reason for God to be angry there you know and and forgot to say you know joel you really need some time in your house right now you're going to spend time with your family and you're going to learn how to love them better so i think that there's probably multiple levels operating here um i think that the the bible says the wages of sin is death and i think Mm -hmm. the coronavirus is a means is 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 a is a an outworking of that reality in our lives um i don't think that the death has the final say that disease has the final say and i think we're going to get to that but Mm -hmm. the reality is god is angry at sin um but because we are christians and we worship christ we also understand that there's an even deeper and greater reality that transcends even god's wrath over our sin so um that would be some of my opening thoughts on that yeah and 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 i think you know lest we give the impression that God is just angry all the time. Uh, you know, I think there's, we, we also serve a God of love, right? Um, uh, I want to, you know, I'm thinking of Romans 5, um, 5, 8, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Like there's, there's, there's a sense in which God has an outpouring of his love on humanity. That's the hope we have in the gospel, Right, it's it's not this matter of like we were the ones who actually uh, obeyed enough to 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 be spared from God's judgment. Um, no, it's the, that's that's not how it works. I mean, he he demonstrates his incredible love for us while we were still sinners. Uh, so even in his wrath and, and judgment over sin, uh, God still puts forth his love. And and honestly, one of the things I'm praying for right now, you know, for for our church and for churches across the really across the world, is that this would be a profound cultural moment uh, where we are able to step in with an undeniable, unshakable, uh, absolutely grounded hope in Christ, and that many people uh, will look to Jesus for for salvation, right? Like this will be, you know, praying, this would be a watershed moment for the church. The the reality is the church in America is never going to come away 
uh, the same, thinking about uh, what church is, what church is supposed to look like. This is going to be begin to shatter boxes and categories. I think in a really healthy way, uh, hopefully one way that doesn't fuel complacency, but but mission. Yeah, that that man, that's that's uh, that's my hope too. I was thinking about that. Is this going to is this going to cause us to become more apathetic about church attendance, or will this have the opposite effect? Um, I think the fact that we're having conversations like this is a positive sign. Yeah. Um, so we've got three questions that have come in. Let me put the first one up. And this is from Scott Roth. Yeah. How does one process if this event is the work of Satan or if it's God getting a message to us, like in the Old Testament, then how do we respond slash pray if this is, quote, supposed to happen? Can it be prayed away? So. Yeah. What are your initial thoughts on that? Oh man, uh, Scott is obviously a great, uh, great thinker, and I love the, some of the questions I've I've gotten from him. Uh, I don't want to say I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say that you know we, you know, I don't want to simplify it and just say like we. There's not really a way to know. Um, you know, one of the ways I would think about this, Joel, uh, you may have the scripture right off the top of your head, but there is an interesting story uh, or, uh, yeah, story in the end of Samuel, Second Samuel, and in First Chronicles, where um, David takes a census. Uh, he's told, I believe by Jabin, don't, do not do this, uh, right? This is going to anger the Lord. He does it anyway, right? And so there, uh, the Lord sends judgment over him. Uh, but in uh, I may I may mix this up. In Second Samuel, it says uh, the the angel of the Lord brought the judgment, and in First Chronicles or Second Chronicles, it says uh, that Satan brought the brought the judgment. Uh, and so, you know, one I'm not trying to answer that. I just think that that's that's an interesting take on the perspective of how this, um, you know, of how how this could be playing out. The other thing to to keep in mind is I'm not sure how I'm not sure how it would change the response. For us, uh, Satan certainly seems to have some kind of power or authority to do some things. Through you know, in the Book of Job, we see him doing some of those things. But by and large, I don't, I don't know how often we see him in the Scriptures being given like an unfettered power to do anything that he wants outside of the the, the will of God. Um, and if it is God trying to get our attention, I think He's trying to get our attention over some kind of. Uh, sin issue. I think John Piper calls it the God's thunderclap. Um, and so th that's my initial response. Joel, what would you add to that? Well, yeah, I, in terms of, I think it was Martin Luther who talked about Satan basically being like a dog on a leash in terms of he, he can only go as far as God allows him to go. And so Satan is not on par with God in terms of, you know, we don't believe in the yin-yang dichotomy between order and chaos, where God is this force for order or good, and Satan is this force for chaos or evil, and there's sort of these two equal forces battling it out. We don't believe in that at all. We believe that God is perfectly good and supreme. Satan is a created being, and in that regard, he is actually infinitely lower than God in terms of his being. And so God still maintains and exercises complete and total control 
over Satan. Satan cannot do anything without God allowing him to do so. And you might say, well, why would God ever allow Satan to do anything? Well, go to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You go uh, in that passage, it says, Joseph is speaking to his brothers and he says, you intended this for evil. God intended it for good. Same word intended. It's ex it's ex It's not God was surprised, but he was able to kind of work it out for good. No, God intended the very same action that the brothers intended for evil. God intended it for good. So it's like, well, who's acting there? Well, Satan was acting. Satan inspired the evil deeds. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm, in my mind, I'm, I'm switching now to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, we find out that Satan inspired uh, Pontius, uh, well, Judas to betray Jesus, and then Pontius Pilate and Herod executed Jesus, had Jesus crucified, which was very evil, but that was God's plan. And so who's acting there? Well, Satan is inspiring them to act, but he's doing so uh, completely under the sovereignty of God. God is, is juking Satan so that Satan falls right into God's trap, and God ends up using the very thing that Satan tried to use for evil for unlimited good. Yeah. So Satan is God's dummy. Satan is God's dog on a leash. Satan can do real harm, but he can't do any ultimate harm because God is ultimately in control. We see that in the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus ended up conquering death through the very thing that Satan tried uh, to, to accomplish his defeat in. So, yeah, I 100% agree with you, Dan. I don't think it changes our response at all. It, it, it's just a matter of which, and I'm not saying Satan's behind the coronavirus outbreak. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know what kind of authority he has there either. But if it is Satan, we still trust God. If it's not Satan, we still trust God. If it's just the product of living in a fallen world, we trust God. We trust God. That's really what it boils down to. And is God trying to get our attention? I would, I would say that's always a safe bet. <laughs> Search your heart. You know, where do you need to repent? Where do you need to to give up sin. You've got sin in your life. So do I. And, um, you know, there's, there's passages in scripture that in which Jesus says, look, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So we look at the, the, the coronavirus patients and, and who knows, Dan, we may very well be numbered among them very soon. Uh, and the, the message God has for us is repent. Yeah. Yeah. Shall yeah. we move on to the next question? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How should we discuss the reality of the virus and its social implications with our kids without instilling fear in them? It's a great question. That This is from Jess Graff. What do you think? Um, yeah, Jess, that, that's, a, that's a really important question. I know a lot of us are thinking through how do we shepherd our kids through this because they're going to start seeing more and more of the implications around this, especially when uh, birthday parties are postponed or canceled like my daughter's yeah yeah and so uh i think it's just gonna be forefront on on kids mind right now my kids are maybe a little younger it'll take it'll take you know my my oldest daughter a little while to see you know that something's happening and even then i don't think she'll really get it uh but what i would say in general um is however you talk about the the virus i think it needs to be uh, I think it needs to be in context of a larger strategy for how you are discipling your kids. 
Uh, in fact, I'm getting ready to release a uh, blog post pretty shortly on this idea of family church or family worship. What does it look like to uh, bring devotions together with with your kids? Uh, because God, those of us with kids, God has entrusted them uh, to our care uh, for evangelism, discipleship, to raise them uh, within within the Christian framework. Like that, that's our role as parents. And so I'd, I'd say however you do this, it can be uh, kind of couched within a greater response of regularly pointing them uh, to a God who's bigger than coronavirus, uh, a God who cares uh, more uh, about his, you know, cares and cares more about us than uh, he does the the birds of the air, the, the flowers of the field. Yeah, they, they have what they need. We will have what we need because our God continues to care uh, for us. So I think, um, However you talk about it, it's got to be part of a bigger strategy and how you're helping shape your uh, kids thinking about uh, about um, who God is and uh, you know who Jesus is. And I'll use this as a quick plug. What's been really helpful for our family uh, is kind of a fourfold approach to family church. So we read uh, children's Bible together, we pray together, uh, we sing uh, a worship song together that, that they can follow along with, and then we do a catechism together. Um, the catechism has been really helpful. I know Joel wrote a phenomenal children's catechism. Uh, what, what's it called again, Joel? The New Covenant Catechism? Yeah, well, the the, the Amazon title is Catechids, C-A-T-A-K-I-D-S. And you can, you yeah, you can get that on Amazon. Thanks for the plug. It's like five bucks. You can get it for free on our website, the Think yeah. Institute. Yeah. And um, yeah, but there's, there's a lot of great tools that are out there. And all that does is help uh, help them maybe connect the dots a little bit more. It's creating like a environment that they're taking in your comments about coronavirus within the greater context of uh, knowing who, who God is. And catechism just it helps tremendously with that, right? So, so uh, for example, my daughter, three and a half years old, we, we, sing the, we sing the catechism song, you know, what is our only hope in life and death? Hmm. Uh, that I'm not my own, but belong to God. And we, we sing that every night, every night. And so that is the thing. That's like the baseline that she's thinking of. And then anything on top of that, you know, she begins to process that, uh, those true, those things together. And that's very cool. I, I love how you frame that in terms of, uh, putting it in the broader context of, you know, discipling your kids anyway. And man, it, God's really set us up for success here because we, and now we're gonna we're all gonna have multiple hours every day with our kids to have those conversations. So it's like, hey, if you messed it up this morning, <laughs> do it again at three o'clock, and if you mess it up then, do it again tonight. Yeah. And uh, it it is it is funny as a guy who personally, I've I've done podcasts and written articles on, and and Dan, you and I have had numerous conversations about how to educate your kids. Mm -hmm. uh, it is funny to see how. We're all, all of us parents now are in this context where we, we have to be thinking critically about how we're discipling our kids. Yep. So I think that's great. I think that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Joel, I mean, your kids are a little bit older than, than mine. What, what would you, uh, would you have any other wisdom? I don't know about wisdom. Um, I've got some thought. I always have thoughts. The question is, you know, um, is it wisdom? That's, you know, <laughs> Lord knows. But, um, the, uh, the way that we have done it is, you know, we, what did we do? We, we searched, 
Oh, I, I actually found a uh, focus on the family article and um, pulled that up. And it's, it's, you know, it's titled something simple, like how to talk to your kids about coronavirus. And this morning, what did we do? It was actually just like you said, it was in the middle of, uh, we did some catechism time. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. We did some catechism time. And while I'm doing catechism, Elisa is is looking up and sort of putting something together on how to talk to the kids about coronavirus. And then afterwards, she, I finished up with catechids. We prayed. And then she brought up, hey, l- listen, this is what's going on. This is how we can be praying. This is why we're going to be staying home. And here's some of the the realities of that, we are going to have to postpone putting things together, uh, uh, getting together with people. And of course, my daughter immediately realized this is going to mean her birthday party does get canceled and, uh, or not canceled, but post- postponed, you know, till I don't know, who knows how long, right? I mean, we, they're saying a couple of weeks, but, you know, when is the government ever um, successfully overestimated how long something's going to take, you know? Uh, so it could, it could be much longer. Yeah. And, Mm-hmm. There were some tears, but we were able to have that conversation together as a family in the context of learning that God is in control. Yeah. And I think that that's the best way to have those conversations. So I, I agree with you. Jess, my wife uh, is far better than I am at getting down on our kids level and talking, you know, she, she can speak to the heart really well. And so I often uh, with, with those kinds of questions uh, about any, any number of topics. I often, I go and, you know, I watch Courtney, I watch other people who are doing it better than me. Uh, and I'm really grateful for uh, her ability to do that. Well, yeah, that's good. So George Golias, I always want to pronounce his last name, Goliath, just because he's a, he's a big old Greek guy and he just, it just, you know, it's a mnemonic device. George, I always think of Goliath especially with that, that handshake. So, uh, but it's, it's Golius. Uh, George is asking, why do, why do we question intentions only when things go bad? Uh, well, we have, I mean, I don't know, human condition. We always want someone to blame, right? So, you know, this goes into uh, the, the question of, is this whole thing a, um, is it a conspiracy? And, uh, you know, Dan, maybe we can get to that, but uh, but but there are people out there who are saying, you know, COVID nineteen is, you know, this is some nefarious plot. This is a George Soros plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the the Chinese government or the Irene. I heard it was the Iranian government. Maybe. Um, why do we question people's intentions when things go bad, Dan? W- what are we looking for there? Or, I mean, I think embedded within us is a desire to have reasons for what's happening to us. You're the apologetics guy, so I think you could probably take that for a walk, a little bit. But like, we, we need to have we need to have reasons, um, and I think in Christian worldview, we uh, there are reasons we may not know them, uh, but there are there are reasons uh, for for why things uh, happen. That's really broad, but I, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're we're always we always want to know why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. Yeah, and there's a really good passage that actually has really calmed my mind quite a bit because I I don't know, George, I don't know if this is where you were going with this, but 
for me personally, um, I, I am by nature a conspiracy guy. So stuff like this, I'm always looking for the, the deeper, um, you know, the, the, the shadowy group that's behind such and such world event, but there is a great, Oh, well, so Psalm two does say, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? There's a reality out there that nations and governments and people groups, they do get together to conspire and to plot evil. But Isaiah eight twelve does say this, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So Dan, this goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, does it change our response when we consider who's behind these, these pandemics, these, these, you know, evil actions? Uh, really? No. I mean, you know, if George Soros is behind this or Satan is behind this, or the, you know, one of God's angels is behind this, ultimately God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to trust God. Yeah. And, you know, if it's Soros or Satan or somebody else, I, I don't have any control over that. I mean, it's not like George Soros, as, you know, we don't get on our, uh, our monthly phone call, not until next month. So it's like, uh, cause th this, this month was called off, uh, just due to various attending circumstances. Um, no, in all seriousness, I don't have any influence over that. I don't have any way of dealing with that. All I can do is, is pray and take the steps that I can on my level. And so we've got to do what we can with what's available to us. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree. Uh, okay. you know, and, and th this is not, uh, you know, I, never mind. I won't even go there. Okay. I mean, uh, just, our wheels, uh, thinking about conspiracy theories and, uh, with, with this particular issue. Yeah. And, and just to be totally upfront, I, I am not going conspiracy on this one. I think this is a disease that, that, you know, jumped out of one of the Wuhan markets, which, uh, from everything I've heard is, uh, some of the conditions there are, are kind of straight out of the jungle by Upton Sinclair. If you've ever read that book, mm -hmm. you know, kind of how the way Chicago was going back to early 1900s. And it's just, it's, hmm. it's, it's the kind of circumstance that you'd expect a disease to, to come out of. And, you know, you get a, a tough strain, you get a tough mutation and it's going to spread. And, and that's exactly what's happening. So I, I do think God's in control. I don't, just to be on the record, I don't think this is the result of any kind of conspiracy. Sure. Um, Lindsay, Lindsay Parisi added a comment. Everything is spiritual. It's never what it appears to be on the surface. You agree? Disagree? Uh, I think if I am following Lindsay's thought, she's a, uh... That's a statement in a longer strain of, or longer uh, chain of ideas. Uh, everything is spiritual. It's never what it appears to be on the surface. Could that just be a uh, statement of the fact that, you know, we see the physical world, but there really is a spiritual world going around. I mean, there's, there are powers and principalities, you know, Satan is real. Angels are real, you know, God himself is working behind the scenes and, and above us. Yeah. 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 I, I would agree with that. I would, um, again, I don't, I don't know if this is, that is exactly what she was trying to say. I think, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right, Lindsay, if we got that wrong, 
go ahead and drop another comment. But uh, we've now got a comment and a question from Romy, and I'm going to put this on the screen, but it's going to block both of our uh, both of our faces here. So um, so let's uh, let's let's put it up there. Let me see if I can change that a little bit. Okay. So here's what it says. Thanks for having this discussion, gentlemen. There are lots of discussions about what the permanent post-coronavirus reality will look like. Remote work, sanitation, preparedness, borders, supply chains, etc. What are your thoughts on the church's post-coronavirus reality? Anything we're learning through this that can become more permanent about how the church acts and works, focus on smaller meetings, reaching out to those who we don't see regularly, how leadership works in, um, oops, let me go back to it, in technological, you know what, I, I can't see the rest of that comment. I think my streaming services only show me part of it. But but Dan, as, yeah. a, as a churchman, as a pastor, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would say in general, uh, any church that has relied mostly or exclusively on the Sunday morning gathering to be their primary means of evangelism and showmanship uh, should be terrified. Um, really? It, it, I mean, I th well, or maybe is panicking or they, they are panicking right now because that's that, like if the Sunday morning show was what was bringing people together, if that was what, you know, merely what was just kind of fueling your church, that's a big problem now. And I don't think, I don't think, you know, church was ever intended to be a show. Um, but it's, a, it, I get it. It's, you want to, as a pastor, you want to have a, you want to have a well-produced service. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can buy into this fear that, uh, or this tendency to want to try and just put on the best show to try and get more and more people to come into your church. The reality is you're always going to find, there's always going to be a better show, right? There's always going to be a new church that pops up and they're going to be able to do what you did better. Uh, and so I think one of the lasting uh, positive effects of this season we're in for, for churches is that it's going to, it's going to seriously erode away that belief um, and really have to propel believers into mission uh, through the rest of the week. And it's not going to be about having the most polished worship service anymore. Now, I know you. I know you put a high priority on the Sunday worship service. It's an important thing. It's an important thing, yeah. So help help us draw a line here between taking Sunday seriously and putting all of our eggs in the show of a well-polished, well-produced Sunday basket. Does that make sense? How do we honor the Sunday worship gathering and not say, well, forget about that now? How do we still honor that without making it? Because you and I, man, we come from the park world. The, that, that park schematic is you know, the, the, the Sunday worship order. That's a thing to behold. I mean, every minute is planned out. I know. I mean, I... I've planned several dozen of those, you know, you've obviously have planned several, probably several hundred at this point. What, if, where's that line between honoring Sunday and putting too much stock in a well-produced worship service or wor worship, uh, worship experience? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking as a pastor and I'll, this might sound fairly obvious to everybody else. Um, but for me, the question I always have to ask is who do I hope is impressed with this service? 
um, because it is very easy to live or die based on the the feedback that people give about you know what happens on a, in a Sunday morning gathering. I'll give you an example. There, I mean, there are times when I mean, there are times when somebody misses a cue. You know, either that, you know, the host forgets to come up on stage when they're supposed to. So there's an awkward silence uh, or, you know, band members aren't communicating very well and, you know, stuff happens. Right. Um, it's very easy to walk away as, as a pastor from that service and say and just be just devastated by the fact that it, things didn't go well or they didn't go the way that you had mapped them out. Right. Like you, you walk away thinking people are going to think negatively about me because of what they just saw that I didn't have this planned out well, or I'm not leading my teams well enough. Um, and th those are very real thoughts. And, and the, the trickle effect is that that can easily affect how pastors view putting together the Sunday morning gathering. A lot of attention can go into making sure you're getting rid of as many of those mistakes uh, as possible. And th there's, there's a line when it, when it becomes unhealthy, uh, when you are hoping that people are more impressed with you um, than they are with, uh, with, with the gospel, right? Like we want people walking away thinking about Jesus, not about the pastor, the local church. Uh, and again, that might sound like a very obvious thing for everybody else listening, but but I can guarantee that that is a very real struggle week in and week out that pastors across the country, and I'm thinking particularly in the Western world right now, uh, because we're very service-driven, Sunday morning gathering-driven, we, we wrestle with it every week. Um, and th like this is going to pull that away, that it's going to erode that idol. I think in God's kindness uh, for many people, as we begin to reconstruct what church needs to look like in, in hopefully a very healthy way long-term. Does that make any sense? I think that makes a lot of sense. And that word that you just used, kindness, talk about a counterintuitive word. I'm going to put a comment from Lindsay Parisi back up on the screen. She said, yes, and God has a plan, and so does Satan. And I remember a friend of mine one time he was, he posted something on Facebook. It was like, summarize the theological truth in 10 words or less, something like that. And and he wanted to summarize God's sovereignty. And he basically said, God and man both will, God's will is comprehensive or something like that. And so the reason I bring that up is because let's say coronavirus is not caused by Satan. Let's say it's, which I would say it's, you know, fine. Theologically, it's fine. It's like coronavirus is caused by mm. a virus. Okay. It, it's, it, you could call it a freak thing. Not that there's anything random in God's universe, but it's, it's a freak thing. Okay. One thing that we do know is that Satan would love for believers in Jesus Christ to stop trusting in Jesus and to start panicking to start turning our attention on ourselves and our resources and our fears rather than the steadfast solid rock of a foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that would be Satan's plan. God's plan though, even in the midst of that is all the things that you just said, it's it's us uncovering those idols of our heart whether it's a really polished worship service, whether it's my 
comfort during the day as my kids are off at school and I don't have to, you know, deal with them, so to speak, speaking crassly, whether it's, um, whatever, you know, whether it's, um, you know, maybe there are people, Dan, who they, they haven't come to really come face to face with some of these sin struggles. Like you mentioned lust earlier, and they've just been keeping themselves busy so that they don't fall into lust. But now they're, they're trapped at home. They have to pray and they have to kill that idol of lust in their heart now, or else it will consume them. That's God's plan. And that is a kindness. Yeah. That actually is a kindness because the Bible says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Yeah. And so as much as President Trump may be calling for a day of prayer and, and calling people to pray, and as much as people may chafe at that, one word that I did not hear from the president last week when he called for the day of prayer was repentance. Mm -hmm. And that is where God's people need to be. And if if this coronavirus, this COVID-19 pandemic leads us to repentance, that sounds harsh, but that, that actually is a kindness, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Okay, let's look at a comment from Jason Wilson. And it says, the nation's freight and supply chain is still moving despite the current situation. I feel that the rest of society has forgotten about our amazing God and his promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Now, this is interesting. I was actually thinking about the fact that we are in such a unique situation right now, being in 2020, we've got video chat. We've got, we've got uh, medical advancements that have happened over the last hundred years. When the Spanish flu hit in 1918, modern medicine was nowhere near as advanced as it is today. Let alone these things that that uh, Jason mentions, the supply lines. Let alone mm -hmm. the fact that you and I can have a video chat right now. You know, Dan, do we see elements of God's common grace even in the midst of this pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would say uh, the, the fact that we're able to do a video chat like this right now is just just evidence of it, um, that the, the church is able to leverage it. Like, for example, uh, at Forest Glen, we're, we're going to be hosting prayer meetings, you know, other kinds of meetings digitally. Uh, and it still is an opportunity for us to gather um, and that's not me saying that the creator of Zoom or Google Hangouts was a, a Christian, but God's common grace in giving those people the abilities to create systems that we can we can use like this. Jason uh, himself uh, driving trucks across the country uh, as as a driver, and the many many people who who do this, uh, you know, I think are you're right. I mean, that's examples of God's common grace on on society right now they're all over the place so all over the place i mean there there is a infrastructure uh you know that that we we really ought, ought to be very grateful for uh that we we live and operate in i mean we, we can have information yeah. like that right like it's it's just coming constantly blessing and a curse i get that but uh, the fact that we can be made aware and have such quick response and communication to be able to check in with those who we care about is incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, you know, that is something I think we do take for granted a lot is, you know, w whatever happens, we are still living in God's world. Mm -hmm. And God is, according to the Bible, Jesus Christ is holding all things together right now. The Bible says, in him, all things consist. So the very fact that 
the the internet is working the mm -hmm. supply lines are are still running and you know the atoms in our body are still being held together the strong and weak force of the atoms is still functioning <laughs> like the world is not going to chaos right now god is still upholding the universe and if that's true and it is clearly things are still in his control and that is absolutely his common grace yeah yep mm -hmm. so we've got to bring things to a uh to an end here but uh we did get one more comment and i wanted to maybe use this as a springboard to talk about one more thing so norma castillo says i hear sometimes oh she said this is talking about church i hear sometimes the volume on the sound in church was off Okay, fine, but did the Holy Spirit move? Maybe we need to pray at home, seek God's face. Okay, so Dan, this is this I think is a good springboard into the question that I really wanted to pick your brain on here. Oh. Hebrews 10, 24 yeah. and 25 explicitly says, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching dan here you are mm -hmm. pastor of park community church forest Glen, telling us we need to stay home do video video chats dan the bible says don't neglect meeting together and for all that i hear norma saying okay yeah maybe we do need to go home and, and pray shouldn't we be doing that anyway don't we shouldn't we be saying you know what we're not scared of coronavirus we should be meeting together help help us out with this and then this can be the last question before we close why are why is it okay for us to cancel church you heretic <laughs> sorry a little too far why is it okay for us to cancel church can i uh tweak your question just a little bit and then i'll answer that one absolutely why is it okay for us to cancel a church service why yeah yes okay okay why did you make that distinction and then why is that okay uh, be, because I think what we what happens on a particular Sunday morning is the gathered body of Christ in in a local congregation, but that is not the sum total of what the church is, right? There there are other elements um, as we are like that extend beyond just a hour and fifteen minute time frame on on a Sunday morning. That is incredibly important, incredibly important. Important, but I call that. Uh, that's, you know, I want to be careful that we, we are canceling the services. We're not ceasing. The church is not canceled. Uh, the, the church no, isn't, doesn't cease to exist right now. It's, it's meeting differently. Um, so a couple principles at play. One, Hebrews 10, absolutely. We should not neglect meeting together. How, how I've read that passage and how I have understood it um, is, uh, that we should not put the, the the meeting, the gathering together of God's people, we should not put that on uh, second, third, fourth tier, uh, pri you know, realm. Like this should be a priority for God's people. Uh, we we come together. We represent the the body of Christ together when we when we gather. Right? There's not something that we should ever take lightly. It's where we take the Lord's Supper together. It's where we uh, sit under the teaching of. Uh, the the elders and the uh, the the pastors that God has gifted to the local church. I don't mean to say that you know I am God's gift to to my church, but the office of pastor and elder, right? Like God gives the church those offices uh, for its for its good, 
the evangelist for for the good of the church. Um, those things haven't haven't ceased, and we shouldn't take lightly just neglecting those or setting them aside as unnecessary. So I think uh, first and foremost, that is what Hebrews 10 is guarding against. Someone who comes along and says, I don't need that, right? I've got my Bible. I've got Jesus. I'm good. I don't need to be around other Christians. That is a lie. It's not true. Um, so I think that's first and foremost, what um, the author of Hebrews is, is has in his mind. I don't think he uh, means always the, the same thing that we think of when we think of a church service, right? I think he's a bit more inclusive in that. Uh, the second thing we got to keep in mind is Romans 13, which calls for us to you know, o- obey our governing authorities. Like God has placed them in positions of authority for our good, ultimately uh, for the good of uh, society, what uh, Romans Romans 13 teaches us, we, we have to balance in the, the, uh, the mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves, Philippians 2, to, to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so I think a gospel ethic would compel us to uh, find other means in this particular season, while this pandemic is going on, it would compel us to uh, look to other means of gathering if they are viable and available to us. Uh, so I, I, that said, I think meeting digitally, while it's not ideal, it is a viable option right now. And for the sake of loving our neighbors and looking to the interests of others, this is something we, we I think we ought to do or ought to strongly, strongly consider doing in this season. Does that make sense? Yeah, man, that makes great sense. And, you know, it's kind of like during these pandemics, the government does take on responsibilities that we would never normally want it to have. I was just listening to the briefing with Al Mohler this morning, and he was talking about during World War II, you had to have a ration card for rubber to even go get new tires for your car. Normally, we would never allow the government to have that kind of authority. Right, right. But it was there was a war on. Mm-hmm. You, the, the government takes responsibilities during a time of national stress in the same way, the church, which is a separate sphere of authority with some overlapping authority, but it is a separate sphere instituted by God. God institutes the government. God institutes the church. The church also needs to adapt during times of crisis under the sovereignty of God, testing everything by scripture, proceeding in prayer. Yeah. And, and using our reason, you know, God gave us a mind um, and that mind is being renewed, Mm -hmm. uh, God willing. And so this is what I hear you saying is this is for a time, whatever new reality might come out of this pandemic, the reality that is not going to come out of this is we're not going to stop meeting together on Sunday mornings or in any way downplay that gathering. Even if we do maybe become a little more chill about how hyper-produced things are, or at the very least, who is the intended audience? You know, if we, maybe we focus a little bit more on the Lord, which is always good rather than on the quote unquote audience, which is, you know, not even the right term anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's it, man. I lost you. I lost you, Joel. Can't, uh, can't hear you anymore. Oops. I was muted. I was muted. Uh, so I put a comment up from Jim and Kathy Osborne. Any relation there, Dan? Uh, yeah, there there is some relation there. That's my uh, my mom and dad. Awesome. 
Well, watching your mom and dad say that this is very positive and ask if we can do this again. I will say it's been a little while since you and I have done a video. I was starting to get worried that like I had offended you or uh, wasn't very good. And so Every day. I've, Every day. I've, I go to my, uh, my text messages and look to see if Joel has asked me if I would join him on the thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. You don't ever have, you don't ever have to ask about that. No, just assume that you've offended me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, I'm assuming the exact same thing times 10 towards you. So, uh, um, we again, I think this is great. I fully agree. I think this was great. You know, people are trapped in their homes. We might as well give them something uh, entertaining and thought provoking to, to watch. Um, there are definitely some comments that we did not get up there. And um, I think, you know, anybody watching this on Facebook or visiting the Think Institute page later on, yeah, scroll through the comments. There's some really thought provoking stuff, really insightful stuff there. Yeah. And um, I just want to say uh, when I edit this, I'm going to, I'm going to post this on the Think Podcast on Friday, which, which is kind of special because normally Friday is just me talking, but we do have a new episode that comes out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. So three times a week, this will be our Friday episode, but you know, Dan, maybe we can make this kind of a regular thing as people yeah. are shut in looking for something interesting. Uh, would you, you're, you're, you're down for that? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to do that. Excellent. So then we can not only offend each other, but we can offend countless dozens of people uh, yeah. possibly even hundreds and even thousands of people, uh, which is always nice. Okay. All right. Good, man. Good. Normally I'd see if you want to hang around and, uh, you know, have can, some... I, can I say one last thing before? Absolutely. We... Yeah. One of the things that I've been, um, just thinking about the last five days, this phrase has come to my mind over and over again. Uh, do not waste the coronavirus. And what I mean by that is what is being created right now, the space that is being created right now. Um, I think I think God is going to be, God is going to use this for something. And if we uh, sit back uh, and are passive through this entire process, I think we'll miss out on, on something very tangible and powerful, uh, a reform that God may be bringing to to the church. And I don't say that lightly because that that means like this involves suffering, but even that I think uh, God God will not waste one moment of what we experience in the coronavirus pandemic. Amen. Thanks everybody for watching, and I mean that's 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 about it. That's what we have for you. So um, I hope you guys are hanging in there, stand strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. And uh, you heard it from Pastor Dan. Don't waste this time. God bless you guys. Thanks for watching. Talk to you later.